in the book of Acts really has some important uh, implications for the work that's going on here in Acts. So would somebody read chapter 15, verses 1 to 5? But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay. Now... This whole event that we're going to read about in chapter 15, this is a debated point, but I believe it's the same event as is described in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You can read impassioned arguments on what whether Galatians 2 is this or some other visit, but... I feel pretty confident it's this visit. Everything matches up well, even though some people say it doesn't. The place is the same, the question of circumcision is the same, the people are the same, the context is the same, the results are the same, and the timing appears to be the same. I think this is Galatians 2, 1 to 10. That's not a big deal, you know, unless you're studying Galatians, but I thought I would mention that. Um, but, you know, they're in Antioch, so people have come from Judea, and these people who come from Judea teach what? Now, when they say you can't be saved unless you're circumcised, why would they think you had to be circumcised to be saved? Exactly. They believe that you've got to observe the law of Moses and essentially become a Jew to be saved. What do we call Gentiles who become Jews? Proselytes. So they believe that the only way a Gentile can be saved is to become a proselyte. Basically, to become a proselyte, a Gentile had to believe in God, be circumcised, and keep the law. So that's what they're teaching. Yeah, you can say Gentiles are all right as long as they'll become Jews. And they're insisting on that with these brethren in Antioch. Of course, that's not something Paul and Barnabas have been teaching the Gentiles. So this is a very controversial thing. As it says in verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. You know, Paul and Barnabas didn't agree with that. And they, they argued their points. And, and there was a great dissension and debate. I mean, apparently these people who come from Judea are, are adamant about the fact you have to be circumcised to be saved. So what do they finally decide to do about this uh, issue? get another opinion from some maybe higher ups in their in their mind. Yes. <clears throat> Who are they going to send to get that other opinion? Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. Exactly. Now, why Jerusalem? It says the apostles and elders, so apparently that's where they were. I think that's the biggest point. I mean, who was it? that has the um, privilege of really being Jesus' spokesman on the earth? The apostles. I mean, 
if you want to know whether a particular teaching is right or not, who better to go to than the apostles? They are Jesus' commissioned representatives picked specially by him, received the Holy Spirit to inspire them. I think it's a good choice. I really think that in many ways, we're going to see this again in different ways, but, but in many ways, what they did here is what we ought to do. What if somebody comes along and they say, well, if you want to be saved, you need to do blank. We've never heard anybody say you need to do blank before. We didn't really think you did. What should we do? They insist. They, they're adamant. You must do this to be saved. And we're like, no, I don't think so. What should we do? Why? Because that's what God says we should do. Did God write the Bible? Um, yes. <laughs> no. In essence. In essence, because? He worked through the people. That were and what people wrote the New Testament? The apostles. The apostles and prophets. So, what would we do if somebody comes along and says, oh, I don't know, You well, let's make it easier. Make it something. Well, you you don't you don't have to be baptized to be saved. We say, oh, I think you do. My church has always taught that you do. Is that what we ought to do? You know, there's a preacher I know who's really smart, and he says you you have to. Brother Noss says you I mean, that's not what we ought to do. If, if it's a question like that, we ought to say, what do the apostles and the prophets say? Now, we can't go to Jerusalem and find them. They died a long time ago. But they left behind their writings that we can go to and we can decide. So they go to those who are inspired representatives and also the place where these false teachers come out from. They've come from Judea. So they'll go right back to the source and see, did the apostles and elders send them out? Were they authorized by them? I assume they implied as they went out that they had the support and endorsement of the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Don't believe it when somebody tells you that. You know, just because somebody said, well, so-and-so agrees with me. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Let's go find out. This is an important discussion. They send Barnabas and Paul back to find out from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And uh, on the way, where do they go? And what do they do in Phoenicia and Samaria? They describe the conversation of the Gentiles. The conversion of the Gentiles, yeah. yeah. They tell about their work among the Gentiles, and these brethren in Phoenicia and Samaria, how do they feel about Paul and Barnabas' work among the Gentiles? Uh-huh. Yeah, they rejoice. And they come to Jerusalem, and the church and the apostles and elders receive them, and they report all that God had done with them. You know, this was God's work when they report on it. Good brethren rejoice. And by the way, did you know anything about Christians in Phoenicia until you came to 1503? 
You know, we don't read about the gospel being taken to Phoenicia. That'd be like Tyre and Sidon and so forth. Evidently was. The gospel was taken all kinds of places that we don't read about, but here we sort of read the results. There were Christians there, obviously. And, uh, but, but as they report all this, the false brethren, those of the sect of the Pharisees who believe, stand up and say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So they have a big debate about it. Now, if you had been Luke, and you had been writing about the early church, would you have, would you have included this chapter? This, this, you know, this is kind of a black mark. You know, these Christians can't agree on even the conditions for salvation, and they're arguing about it with each other. Well, Bible writers do not cover up the faults of anybody. They report accurately and objectively this is what happened. <clears throat> so, they're going to have a big discussion. And we'll see in a minute what they're looking for in the discussion. But, comments and questions through verse 5. Wasn't just an overnight trip back to Jerusalem. Good point. Get this answer. You know, I always thought that was a little, it seemed a little, maybe odd in our time when we, you know, we want the answer immediately. We look on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this church here at Antioch is waiting for yeah. quite some time to hear back to know what to do about this situation. That's the way it was back then. <laughs> I have more patience. Yeah, good point. Now, is Judea the region of in Jerusalem? Yes. Ju- Jerusalem would be like the leading city of the region of Judea. It's like a whatever state or. A yeah, province perhaps. Province. Yeah. <clears throat> Other thoughts or comments? Well, let's look look at the discussion six through eleven. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to hear? Through where? Eleven. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also also are. Alright, now, you just have to appreciate so many things about these brethren. Here's this disagreement. You know, some of them are saying one thing, and the Pharisee Christians are saying something else. Now, what do you do when there's trouble in the church? When some people are saying one thing, and some people are saying something else? Well, I'm impressed by what they don't do. They do not try to sweep the problem under the rug and pretend that we're all okay. They openly and fearlessly discuss the problem with reliance upon God. Sometimes we're too quick to try to make everything look good on the surface and not really deal with the issues. They deal with it. They 
come together. We're going to open this thing up and expose it, and we're going to determine what the Lord wants us to do. That's what they needed to do, and that's what they did here. There had been much debate, and then Peter stood up. So they'd given a lot of opportunity for the two sides to debate the issue even. But we here reported some key speeches in this meeting. And the first one is Peter. And, and, and Peter makes reference to what event? Exactly. Remember how God used Peter and sent him to Cornelius and his family, who were the first Gentiles to receive the gospel. Now look at how Peter phrases this. He says, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the Holy Spirit, knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Peter emphasizes what God did that shows that he wanted the Gentiles to be included as well. God gave them the Holy Spirit. That was God's means of, of showing that there was no distinction. So, you know, whose idea was it to include the Gentiles? It wasn't Paul's. It's the Lord's. He says, you know, why then, in verse 10, do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Don't add conditions upon, up, above what the Lord himself gave. Don't put this yoke that not even we have been able to bear. We're saved, and they're saved in the same way by the grace of God. So when Peter is giving this speech, what's his main thought? What's he trying to find out? The question is, do the Gentiles have to keep the law and be circumcised? What, what is Peter's approach? What's his reasoning? What, what's he looking for? What's God's will? Exactly. He wants to know what's God's will. And so that's what he shows. You know, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. That's an indication that God wants them to be saved the same way we are. That's the right way to look at this. I mean, you know, when we have a question, what are we trying to figure out? What's God's will on it? What has he said? What has he done? What are indications of what he would want? I think that's a pretty solid point Peter makes. I think it's a pretty solid speech. You know, that's an indication. I mean, did, did, did God make Cornelius be circumcised and observe the law of Moses before he gave him the Holy Spirit? You know, God seemed to accept him without those things. All right, comments or questions on any of this divorce or love? interesting that there was even that much debate on who else was there I can't imagine there being that much debate among the apostles but it doesn't state exactly who it was I, I'm assuming the apostles all agreed but there's a lot of these Pharisees and these these people have been converted but they haven't quite been all the way converted 
we sometimes think, wouldn't it have been great to live back in the first century where everybody was spiritual and everybody agreed and there weren't any problems? Have you read the New Testament? <laughs> this is Jerusalem church where the apostles are. And they have much dissension and debate about this. And evidently some people have gone out from them without their authorization preaching this stuff. It's the Jerusalem church. People have problems. You know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that go off the deep end doctrinally. Other comments through 11? Look at 12. He says, All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, do you notice anything interesting about how these two are mentioned? Yeah, Barnabas first and then Paul. That's not the norm anymore when these two are together. But look at 1525 also. You've got Barnabas and Paul. Why in chapter 15 would we revert back to some Barnabas and Pauls instead of Paul and Barnabas? No. What? <laughs> Alphabetical order. The brethren still seeing Barnabas as being. What brethren? The yes! In Jerusalem, Barnabas was the one they more looked to and more respected. After all, I know Barnabas grew up in Cyprus, or he was born in Cyprus, but who sent him up to Antioch? The Jerusalem church. You know, Barnabas had been with them for a long time. Remember back in the chapter 4 when he gives the money and so forth? So for Jerusalem, Barnabas is their man and Paul's kind of Barnabas' companion. Think about it. Aren't we a lot like that? You know, we, we're more likely to cite first the name of the person we have the most relationship with. You know, I mean... It's probably going to be more common, say, for for us to say Kyle and Katie, and for Katie's family to say Katie and Kyle. Those aren't inflexible rules, and sometimes a certain way of saying that has a ring to it, the other one doesn't. You know, but still, you say the first, the one you got the closest relationship to. This is just a fascinating little little thing. But this is precisely the way they just said it in Jerusalem. It'd be Barnabas and Paul there. So that's just a small point, but what do Barnabas and Paul tell about in this debate? What God has done. What did he done? What has he done? Now, obviously, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, they weren't the source of the power behind the signs and wonders, but how is it important for them to say that God worked these signs and wonders? How does that fit the discussion? Of what? Of what they just said about um, the circumcision. Yes, it's God's approval of Barnabas and Paul's work among the Gentiles teaching them they don't need to be circumcised and they don't have to keep the law of Moses. I mean, if God gives signs and wonders to confirm the word that Barnabas and Paul are preaching, 
and they're preaching you don't have to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses, that's a way of God indicating his approval on what they're teaching and preaching. You know, God reveals his will in different ways. And one of the ways he revealed his will is by the signs and wonders. That's a way of God communicating and saying, this is my man, listen to him. I agree with what he's saying, he's got my message. So again, Barnabas and Paul are looking for what? What their church teaches? You know, what some preacher teaches? What they feel in their heart? No, they're looking for what has God done to show what he wants in this? Both both Simon and now Barnabas and Paul are showing acts of God that indicate what he wants as far as the Gentiles are concerned. Comments and questions through verse 12. I think it's pretty cool how um, Peter, he stands up and says what he has, um, his experience on the being of teaching the Gentiles, and then Barnabas and Paul, they get up and say their experience with it. Yes. So they both relate the things that they have seen God do that shows his will about the Gentiles. Yes. One more speaker. He's going to um, sort of wrap things up with his evidence and actually make a proposal as to what they ought to do. So, 13 to 21. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from the whole. <clears throat> Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by others, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Who speaks here? James. Who James is this? Jacob. <laughs> Jacobus. Like that. Jacob. <laughs> who is this James? Yes. The James brother of John was already beheaded about three chapters ago. Can't be him. James, the son of Alphaeus, I have no idea what he did. <laughs> you know, he never really referred to individually. But this is probably James, the Lord's brother. And he says, well, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. What's he talking about? Simeon. Peter. Yeah, Simon Peter. It's just an alternative spelling of Simon. You know, we do that sort of thing. You know, Josh, Joshua. I mean, you know, it's the same name. Simon, Simeon. You know, it's just the Joshuaized form of, uh, you know, Simon. <laughs> so, uh, do you know another place in the New Testament that uh, uses Simeon instead of Simon? That would really be a trivia question. 
Second Peter 1.1. 1, 1. It's the only other place. Simon is mentioned 75 times. And Simeon only twice. But it's, just, it's the same person. And so he's, he's saying, okay, we heard from Peter. You know, Peter told us about how God first took these Gentiles. I mean, the, the Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. And so Peter's related that and showed how through Peter, God chose Gentiles as his special chosen people. Now, James adds to that one more consideration. What does James point to to indicate God's acceptance of the Gentiles? The scriptures. The scriptures. Isn't that a good way to find out what God's will is? You know? He said, well, that's exactly what the prophets say. He quotes from Amos chapter 9. And he's basically trying to say with Amos 9 that salvation of the Gentiles is part of God's purpose as he revealed to the prophets. Here's the citation. After these things I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it. Notice the emphasis on God, all that he's going to do. Rebuilding the tabernacle of David is rebuilding God, David's kingship over his people. That, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus. He says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who call by my name, says the Lord. You know, so God's purpose was that the Gentiles would be called by his name. The Gentiles would wear God's name. And, and this is something, according to verse 18, from long ago. God had a long time ago promised and purposed that the Gentiles would wear his name when God rebuilds the fallen dynasty of David, restoring kingship to David's lineage. And that's Jesus. Jesus was in David's lineage. He restores David's kingship and, and part of Amos' prophecies is that the Gentiles in this kingdom are going to go by God's name as well. So you've got Cornelius saying, well, here's what God did sending the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. And Barnabas and Paul say, here's what God did confirming our message with signs and wonders when we preach to the Gentiles. And James says, well, here's what God said to Amos about the Gentiles being accepted. Every single one of them wants God's will. How has God shown what he wants? That's always what we're trying to do. We get into these questions and we say, well, now if we did this, you know, there'd probably be trouble. You know, or, or, or if we don't do that, I don't think we'll bring very many people in. You know, who cares? We are not trying to figure out how to get more people in or who's going to like it or who's not. We're only trying to find out what's God's will. So we do the same thing, look for indications of God's will, and follow it. So it's just a great, you know, it's a great procedure in this discussion. I don't know what the guy said in the great debate and dissension, but the speeches that were worth Luke recording for us point out, here's God's will that Gentiles be accepted as Gentiles with no strings attached like circumcision. All right, comments or questions? If you were to say that Gentiles could be saved as long as they are circumcised, and that wouldn't be saying that Gentiles could be saved. That would be saying proselytes can be saved. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. I just think it's really interesting that 
a few years earlier, they wouldn't. These same people wouldn't have a clue what this passage in Amos meant. <laughs> You're exactly right. But now they're using that, and, and it's totally like the light bulb comes on, and how clear it is. Fulfillments really clarify prophecies. <laughs> Good point. Other thoughts? I think it's amazing they had it right there in front of them for so long. Like he's able probably to quote it right there, and yet they, like Chris said, they had no idea. Look, it's easy to do. It's easy to miss things in the Bible if you're not really looking for them, got your eyes open. Well, he says, this is still James's speech. He says, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. I mean, we should not try to add extra rules for other people so that they will become like us and conform to our culture and all that. He says, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication from what strangled and from blood. You know, now, you know, he's saying, let's not impose any extra conditions on them, just these things that, that have to be. I mean, there's some moral laws that the Gentiles are going to have to observe. Like, you know, not involving themselves in eating things contaminated by idols, which would be wrong. And, you know, abstaining from fornication, which would be wrong. And not eating things that are have blood in them or have been strangled and not properly, properly bled. So, James just says, let's write them and just insist on the basic principles that they've got to follow from the gospel and not trouble them with any extra rules or laws that God has not given for us. Comments and questions? Didn't the law about not eating the blood precede the law of Moses? Gen and that's why Genesis still, 9. Yeah. That's why it would still be in effect? Yeah, and it's still a part of Jesus' law today as well. I mean, I'm not sure we would automatically say necessarily that a law before the law of Moses has to still be in effect. I mean, they offered animal sacrifices. That's not still in effect. But God intends for certain principles to be valid in the New Testament too, and one of them is not even blood. Where do I fix these things to add to this? <laughs> That's a great question, because you would certainly think there's a few other things. That, yeah. Uh, like not murder and, uh, uh -huh. yeah. you know. Yeah. Or attending every service. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are things that were in the Old Testament that still have to be observed today. So that's that's one limit limiting factor. Um, I suspect these are the things that they had the biggest problem with. You know, I mean, even the things sacrificed to idols, that was a big cultural issue. Sexual sin has pretty much always been a big issue. But I don't know. Maybe they liked eating blood. <laughs> But I, that's what I'm guessing, is that these are kind of some of the things that the Gentiles regularly would mess up on that are essential. And so they say, write them and tell them you got to observe these things, but nothing more than that. I always thought it just seemed so odd, non-related to the question. that, and, and the fact that the letter never addresses, never specifically addresses the 
the issue. It doesn't say don't circumcise them, but do this. It just says don't. You know, you know it's good. There's no other burden. <laughs> yes. Than than these things. So. By implication, then you can't force them to do something else like being circumcised. But they just say, here's what it. Here's what you got to do. We're not going to add anything to that. And what they have understood when when they are preaching, you must be circumcised, or even the way it's written, that that is basically saying obey the entire law. Yeah, because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Okay. So it's kind of it's kind of like you know I don't know something that almost symbolizes keeping the law. Circumcision was just like the big point. We might, I don't think circumcision is parallel to baptism, but we might do the same thing with baptism. We might say, you know, you really need to get baptized. Well, what we really mean, I think, is you really do need to believe in the Lord and you need to repent of your sins. And making a commitment to the Lord, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But sometimes we'll just kind of short-circuit that and say, we just need to be baptized. But we, we really mean all the other things that are involved in that as well. Other comments and questions to 21? All right, 23 to 29, uh, 22 to 29. Yeah, 22. 22 to 29, yeah, great. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with, with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barnabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Then wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with all the other Barnabas of Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Right, here's the very letter that they wrote. The apostles and the brethren who were elders to the brethren Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, from the Gentiles, greetings. That's the introduction to the letter. Now you know that wasn't a letter from Paul. Because what does he say in place of greetings? Grace and peace to you in Jesus Christ or whatever. So, Paul, it's going to be grace and peace. But this letter, greetings. Are there any other New Testament letters that start like that with greetings instead of with grace and peace or something like that? The letter 
some Felix DeFestus or something like that? They have. I mean, uh, maybe so. I'm not sure, though. I don't think so. James. Look at that. Of all things, the letter of James starts out, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings! Isn't that odd that this letter would start the same way? <coughs> or is it? See why it would? James wrote it. James wrote it! Isn't that amazing? You know, it's those little things that, that those little coincidences that further just confirm, you know, I bet you, you mostly sign your letters with the same complimentary clothes if you use one, because we don't write letters that much. But if you write a letter, do you, do, what do you write at the end? Sincerely, or in Christian love, or yours truly, or whatever. Or, or some initials that mean some, some letters, like yeah. texting. Yeah, that's right. T-T-Y-L, or, you know, whatever. But, but don't you kind of have your ways of doing things? Yeah, we do in texting. Aren't there some people who text and they use certain abbreviations and certain expressions that other people wouldn't use? Yeah, in anything we do that. So, this is James's letter. And, uh, you know, they say, we heard about these guys who've gone out and disturbed you with words unsettling your souls. And these are men that we gave no instruction to. These guys who came out from Judea, we didn't send them. Wasn't our idea. So they, they provided a disclaimer there. And, and he, they said, we're, we, we are, have selected some men to send with Barnabas and Paul, namely Judas and Silas, who will encourage you and confirm the things we're writing here. This is another case where Paul brings somebody, or uh, Luke brings somebody onto the scene in a very minor role, Silas, who will later occupy a much greater role. Um, but, you know, they... Uh, they they're, they're going to be men that will will verbally encourage the brethren and deliver the letter at the same time. And so, this letter is going to be awfully good evidence for churches like Antioch and some of these other places where these false teachers have gone. Now they've got a letter even from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem saying the only necessary things are these. And, and they can show these false teachers their circumcision is not on this list. And this, this letter is signed by, you know, Peter and John and you know so forth and so on. Uh, we got we got good reason to believe that this is this is not true what you're teaching. So they're they're trying to to ward off the spread of this false doctrine in these other places. Comments and questions. It's obviously different translations of this because. As he was reading, I just made the comment that the letter doesn't mention the circumcision, but whatever translation that is does mention it. Where, where did it mention circumcision? At the end of 24. Mm -hmm. What were you it's reading? Not in ours. It's New King James. Oh, I bet there is a textual variant. Then. Yeah, it specifically said. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You got the New King James also? Yeah. Okay. It says circumcision. Unsettling your souls with circumcision or something like that? Um, you must be circumcised and keep the law Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a textual question. And yeah. and almost always with textual questions, go with the other translations, not the New King James Version. And textual <laughs> questions, it's worse. It uses more of that old 
majority text stuff and so forth, the textual basis behind the King, Old King James and the, the other versions almost all use like the United Bible Society text and things like that, which is superior. So, they're probably wrong about that. Uh, 24 is, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you, you with their so words unsettling your souls. Other questions and comments? people are spreading this trouble can't just say that oh that wasn't from the apostles that's you know what Barnabas and Paul are saying they had that letter to prove it and they had you know face to face word of mouth witnesses from Jerusalem who were not affiliated with Barnabas exactly. and Paul necessarily exactly so that's going to give a lot of confirmation of the letter and the brethren that they sent it's almost like insurance case we didn't forge the letter and exactly. not make witness. it all the way back to Jerusalem and was I halfway until I came back. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to send some people out who'd be encouraging and helpful in their teaching and exhortation. Really responsible thing for the brethren of Jerusalem to do, it seems to me. They could have just said that, well, this is the truth, and if you don't believe it, then that's your fault. You know, you're, you're, you've got a bad heart. But, you know, they give ample reason to be for people to believe in. Good point. And great encouragement to do so. Good point. Alright, anything else? I'll stop here and pick up in uh, 1530. Good discussion. Good comments. Everybody.